morning, and uh, please open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. say thank you for your kindness and uh, Larry for your words uh, appreciate appreciate that um, you know, I remember when uh, when at Greencastle Bible Church when we dedicated the sanctuary dr. Joe Stoll came and uh, man we had every pew filled obviously with with him his uh, notoriety and all that and uh, I remember after we would worship and he got up, first thing he said was to, to the whole congregation, he said, if you ever get rid of him, make sure you don't get rid of her. <laughs> so, um, and I've been reminded over the years that I married above myself, and I know that, but uh, Larry, thanks for reminding me again uh, of that reality. But, uh, you know, it is, it is uh, our incredible joy to serve the Lord and to serve here and to serve alongside of so many that um, that love Him. And it is a lot easier to serve among people who, who love the Lord and who love us. And so we're so thankful. And uh, particularly we're thankful for the leadership, uh, the leadership team, both the elders and deacons and their wives, and, uh, and just their incredible love for Jesus, their desire to follow Him. We all know who the head of this church is. It's Jesus. And um, we encourage each other, uh, we challenge each other, we don't agree all the time, but we, we work together, and it's just so much uh, fun to do that when we serve together. And, uh, and I also uh, want to particularly say um, thanks to, to Rick. Where'd Rick go? There he is. Okay. I'm looking for you over there where you normally sit. Um, you know, Rick is, is such an incredible blessing to me. And just everything he does, you know, we we pay him ten hours a week, and he works twenty hours a week here, along with however many eighty hours he works at his job, uh, you know, and and just he does so much more than what we have asked him to do uh, to take things off my plate, and um, and we are we're looking forward to being able to hire that next person to be a full time associate pastor to take things off of my plate, but also off of Rick's plate. And uh, allow him to do the things that we have asked him to do, things that he's passionate about, uh, to continue to do those things. But um, so thank you, Rick, uh, that you do for me and to help my, my ability to do what I do. Well, let's pray and uh, let's get into God's Word. Lord, we are so grateful to you. For your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you that you have given us your word that tells us who you are and tells us what you've done. And it's through that word that we have come to understand that first of all, how deeply and desperately our sin has caused us to need a Savior. And you have told us in your word what you did for us through your Son, Jesus. 
You took our sin off of us and you placed it on Him. And He faced the consequences that we deserve. He paid the price. And then He rose again victorious over our great enemy, death. Because death is the consequence of sin. And He has offered us the freedom over that sin. And He's offered us eternal life. Which is both a quality of life as well as a quantity. And we look forward to being able to spend all of eternity with You, God, because of Christ. We realize that our lives have been transformed in this world because of Christ. We ask that You would receive our gratitude And You would help us to live that abundant life that You have given us. Each and every day we walk this earth until You call us home. May we enjoy the stuff of this life. But even more importantly, may we enjoy the relationships You've granted us in this life. But most importantly, may we enjoy our relationship with You. May we cultivate May we never neglect the incredible privilege that it is to know you and to walk with you and to serve you with our lives. Now, Lord, we turn our attention to this specific passage, what it has to say to us about living wisely in this world. Guide us in our understanding and our application right now. There's a story told about a captain of a ship who was looking out over the ocean at night and he saw in the distance a light directly ahead of him. So he had his his signalman send a message. And that message said, alter your course 10 degrees south. And they received a message back that said, alter your course 10 degrees north. This didn't sit well with the captain. And so he had his signalman send another message, and it said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. The reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a seaman, third class Jones. Well, now the captain is really angry. And he decides to send a message he knows will invoke fear in this Seaman, he says, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then came the reply, alter your course degrees 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. No matter how important we think we are, no matter how much authority we believe we have, <laughs> reality tells us a different story. Reality puts us in our place. In our text this morning in Ecclesiastes 8, the preacher, I believe to be Solomon, is helping us to be in reality, to to realize how we are supposed to live in this world under the sun that is fraught with all kinds of vanity and meaninglessness in and of itself. 
how do we function here wisely? How do we walk wisely under the sun? And because last time we talked about, you know, above the sun wisdom versus under the sun wisdom, and how this one's better than the other, and gives us a better perspective, and God has a bigger plan, and all of that. And now he's saying in chapter 8, here's how you walk wisely in this world when you have an above-the-sun perspective, when you understand. And there are three particular areas that he addresses here that this wisdom acknowledges if we're walking in this life, and it's important that we acknowledge this. And so, if you would follow along as I read from Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and actually we're going to read into chapter 9, verse 1. He says, Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. For a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight when a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death, and there is no discharge in the time of war. And evil will not deliver those who participate in it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. So then I have seen the wicked buried, and those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did that. This too is futility. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know it will be well for those who fear God, who fear Him openly. But, I will not, but it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. There is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there is a righteous man to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And on the other hand, there is an evil man to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say this too is vanity. So I commended pleasure. There is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to seek the task that has been done under the earth, on the earth, even though one should even never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though a wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. And then chapter 9, verse 1, he says, For I have taken all this to my heart and explained that Righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. 
Walking wisely under the sun means a couple things. First of all, it means that we acknowledge, or wisdom acknowledges, that life under the sun is out of our control. It's out of our control. You know, in verse 1, he says, Who is like a wise man and knows the interpretation of a matter? And a man's wisdom illuminates him, illumines him, and causes his stern face to beam. I think what he's saying is, when we don't have this wisdom, we're looking around and we see the meaninglessness of all this, and it depresses us. But when we have wisdom that, that recognizes there's more going on than meets the eye, Wisdom then causes that sternness to change, to, to beam, to see beyond it, to recognize there's more going on here. It gives us a new perspective. And then he talks about this whole issue of authority and being out of control. And I think the couple truths that stand out to me in this regard, and the first is that we should live within the guidelines that are established. He says about keeping the command of the king and not to, to be quick to leave, right, the one in authority. And again, in that day, the king was the ultimate authority. He really could do what he wanted. And there were often no ramifications. And so he talks about this issue that the, the king, whatever the king says, and whatever he wants to do and pleases him, he does it. And no one can question it. And the wisdom of living under that. And that's not to say that my authority is always right or always does what's best for those under that authority. But what we know is that God established governing authority. It was God's idea to establish authority in the home and in society, as well as in the church. There is an established authority given by God. And Romans chapter 13 tells us this, and this is Paul writing in a day when Rome was persecuting Christians. And he says, let every person in Romans 13, 1 and 2, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. This is a hard one. In some countries, there's no choice who your authority is because it's established by somebody other than you, right? It's a dictatorship. It's, it's a royalty. And, and so if you're born into it, you go there. But if you're not, you're not. And it's just there's no choice. We live in a country where we have an opportunity to vote. Now, obviously, we, we question some things and wonder, are things being done properly? But we live still in the greatest nation on earth. The freest nation. The 
counsel the Scripture is that we are to live under the guidelines that are established, understanding that God is the ultimate authority and God has given authority. But we are to do it, according to Apostle Paul, out of love, not for the one in authority, but for the one who is ultimately in authority, and that's God. Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 8, and he's writing to slaves who are oppressed, who have no choice in the matter. And he says, slaves, be obedient to your masters, those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleases, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing one, each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Do it unto the Lord, knowing that God sees what we're doing. God sees the injustice that's going on by those in authority. And certainly there was all kinds of injustice between masters and slaves in that day. And he says, you need to live under that. Obey as unto Christ. And Christ sees it all. And Christ will reward our faithfulness in the midst of it. That's not to say that in a society where we have a voice that we don't operate in that voice. That we don't exercise that voice. And that we don't do everything we can within our rights, within the law, to, uh, to see that this... Uh, that those in authority are held accountable. All those things are right and good. But the Scripture calls us to live under authority. Because we are under God's authority. And it will go better for us in the long run when we are able to live under that authority unto Christ than if we strive against it continually. And I think that's the point he's making here when he's talking about all these things. He's saying, listen, don't join an evil matter, verse 3, because the king will do whatever he pleases. He's in authority. And in verse 5, he who keeps the will of command experiences no trouble, for the wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. And Again, we know that that doesn't mean that we'll never have any things that won't go right, but it's better for us in that regard. But we see another issue going on here when he talks about a king and, and ultimate authority, and that is that um, we can see the connection between obeying a king in this life and obeying the king in glory. Uh, and in the Expositor's Commentary, he makes that connection and says, if you aim to please God, then you're like a courtier who tries to please his king. Obey the king's commands, recognizing that you are pledged to serve him. That applies to us. Obey the king, because we're pledged to serve him. If you displease him, you must accept the fact that there will be a rift between you. Right? When we sin against the Lord, we break fellowship with him. And we're called to confess our sins and to walk in that repentance and to receive the forgiveness that's ours to rest, restore that fellowship with God. He says what you should do. Right? God's in control. 
tells us what to do. We have a hard time with that in our culture. I know I do, right? Because I've grown up in a society that basically I have a lot of uh, ability to make my own decisions. And I don't want anybody telling me what I have to do. But we have a God in heaven who tells us what we have to do. And He is a loving God and a loving King. And, but we have to understand that we are under His authority. He's not accountable to you. He does what He pleases. And when you know His will, you will be wise to do it at the right time and in the right way. Even though you cannot see the full purpose. We don't fully grasp living under a king in our, in our world. But this is, this is the context in which Solomon is writing this. And so it is wise for us to live within the guidelines established as much as it is possible for us. Living under, understanding we're living under authority, but our ultimate authority is Christ, and so we do whatever we do for Him. And then the second truth is that we should admit our limitations. Because he goes on to say what we're not in authority over. Verse 7, if, you know, if no one knows what will happen, who can tell you when it will happen? We're, no, we're not in authority over the future. We have no idea what's going to happen. We can speculate. You know, if, we, if it's something we've seen before, we might be able to say this is probably what's going to happen, but we don't have ultimate control over that. David Jeremiah, as he's writing about this, says, much of our daily lives are controlled by the dictates and desires, not to mention the needs of other people. Whether it's the government or our family members, daily we have to remind ourselves that we'll be required to do things we'd rather not do. Welcome to parenthood. Right? We're the authority in the home. And yet there's a tremendous amount of things we need to do. That we don't really like to do. Why? Because we are using that authority God gave us for the betterment of those under our authority. That is how God designed authority to work. We all know how hard it is when that's not the way the authority looks at their position. Whether in the home, in the church, or in society. But it's the reality, and we must understand, again, whether we're under authority or in authority in a particular area of our life, we must understand and admit our limitations. We have no authority over what happens in the future or when it will happen. He goes on in verse 8, no man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind. Maybe he's talking literally about weather. and We know we have no control over the weather. Especially when we're really excited about something we're going to do, and then the weather changes that. I don't like to golf in the rain. Certainly not in the cold and the snow. So I like it when the weather cooperates with my plans, and I don't like it when it doesn't. But I don't have any control over that, as much as I wished I did. And then he says, or authority over the day of death. 
don't have any control over that. Now, there are some things, you know, little things we can control. We can eat better. We can exercise and we can be a little healthier that might give us uh, a better quality of life and might keep us here a little longer. And we certainly aren't going to make dumb decisions and walk out in front of a moving vehicle. Those are things we can control, but we cannot ultimately control when we're going to die. I love the story of the, uh, the merchant in Baghdad who sent his servant to the market. And the servant returned home ashen and shaken. And he told his master he had just encountered death at the market and begged to, for use of his master's horse to flee to Samara to hide. And so the merchant agreed and the servant fled. And later when the merchant was in the market, he saw death and asked, why he had threatened his servant that morning, and Death replied that he had meant not to, did not mean to startle the servant, was actually surprised to see him in the market in Baghdad since he had an appointment with him that night in Samaria. We have no control, and obviously that's a, a fictitious story, but, but we have really no control over these things. And then he goes on to say about no discharge in a time of war. We don't have ultimate control over conflict, whether that's conflict in our world that's continually going on, or conflict between us and someone else. We have a part in that, right? We can live at peace with all men as much as it is possible for us. So much as our part has to do with it. We can't control another person. We don't have control over consequences that come, right? It says an evil will not deliver those who practice it. So when decisions we make, good or bad, we don't have control over all the consequences. And then in verse 9, we see this injustice of a man having authority over another man to his hurt. And so we have no control over that. These are just examples of things in which we have no control over. It can go on and on and on and on. So we've got to acknowledge and admit our limitations. We are not really in control. Control is just a fictitious thing. So we've got to realize that. But we know the one who is in control. And we look to Him. And that's why wisdom acknowledges, listen, life is out of my control. It's not out of His. I look to Him. Well, the second truth is that wisdom acknowledges that life under the sun is full of injustice. <clears throat> Verse 10, I have seen the wicked buried. Those who used to go in and out from the holy place and they're soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. Now, <clears throat> as I looked at commentators, I looked at this one of two ways. Either contrasting the wicked who are buried, and probably most likely referring to a proper burial, if you will, and people standing up and talking about how wonderful they were, when in reality they were wicked. In contrast to the person who went in and out from the temple, the holy place, and they're soon forgotten. Right? Contrasting the person who was trying to do the right thing, the righteous thing, and yet is soon forgotten, and then the, but the wicked is honored, and you know, or it could be referring all to the same person who, on the outside, went back and forth to the temple and, and gave, did all this, and yet they were truly wicked. 
And people completely forgot about their wickedness, but gave him a proper burial and, and did all this. And either way, you see that sometimes those who do wrong seem to be honored. And we see that in our world. And then he says this, verse 11, because the sentence against the evil deed is not ex executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them given fully to do evil. <clears throat> in other words, the more people get away with evil, the more people try to get away with evil. The more you see injustice, the more you see people not being held accountable for the things that they do, the more it emboldens people to continue to do things to get away with wrong doing. And God established authority to curb that. And when we are trying to take away that authority to hold down evil in our society, all we're doing is encouraging more evil behavior. And so we see that the flesh, that is the, the base part of who we are as people, sees the temporary advantage of the evil of man. They see that people are getting away with it. Therefore, they think they can get away with it. And so it just compounds. And the more people get away with it, the more people try to get away with it. Then he changes his perspective and says, even though a sinner does evil a hundred times and seems to lengthen his life, in other words, gets away with it, seems to prosper in it, still I know it will be well for those who fear God, who fear Him most. And, now, and he says, I know it will not be well for the evil man. He will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. And so we see the Spirit sees the permanent advantage of the fear of God. No matter what the advantage may seem to be in the moment, it will not last into eternity. See, the person who fears God, again, recognizes there is a God who's in charge. And responds to that God by walking in, in obedience to that God and then submits or yields one's life to that God and lives according to His commands and His dictates. That's how we walk in the fear of God. And we know that even though maybe in the short run we might get the, the short end of the stick, we, we're not living for the short run. We're, we're living for eternity. And so we know the permanent advantages to walking in the fear of God, whereas the world looks at the temporary advantages of getting away with wrongdoing because it seems to feed themselves in what they want. But it's short-lived. And without an eternal perspective, we can be caught up in that. When he talks about lengthening his life in verse 12, and then he contrasts that with lengthening his days like a shadow, he's not contradicting himself. I believe what he's doing is, in the first, uh, in verse 12, he's talking about life here on earth. And though a person does evil and may lengthen their days in that they may get away with it, 
The second phrase, lengthen his days like a shadow, is most likely referring to eternity, and he's saying he won't get away with it forever. When we contrast that, that desire or thinking you can get away with it with the words of the prophet in Malachi 3, we see what the Lord says to the, to the nation um, in Malachi 3, 13 through chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You said it's vain to serve God. And what profit is that if we have, if we have uh, kept his charge and, and we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they are also test God and escape. That's that reality. Right? We look around and we see the people who are doing the wrong things seem to be getting away with it. I.e., 2022 in the United States of America. But then he says, And those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and the book of remembrance was written before him who, for, whose, uh, for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. And they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own possession, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like chaff, and that day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. So that it will leave them neither root nor branch, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall, and you will tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. It may seem one way now, but God will bring justice in the end. And so we have to live with a perspective beyond this world. Wisdom acknowledges this life here under the sun. It's filled with injustice. Injustice all around us. Injustice that impacts our life. But we know that's not the end of the story. We must keep that perspective if we're going to walk wisely here under the sun. And when we view life with this perspective, and we understand that all that we have and, and the people around us are gifts from God, then we can enjoy all of this even in the midst of injustice. We can use it for the glory of God and, and for the good of ourselves and other people in the midst of these realities. And that's what he says in verse 15. So I commend pleasure. There's nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. Because this isn't all there is. So sit back. Just enjoy it. Because God has given it as a gift. Now, if there's something we can do about injustice, if there's a part we can play, we ought to do that. But if we get so consumed with 
what's going on around us and that, that this is all there is and that seem, people seem to be getting away with it and, and where is that? Who's going to do anything about it? And we get so worked up about it. We just step by and say, okay, it's going to be okay. And then thirdly, wisdom acknowledges that life under the sun is beyond our comprehension. We just don't know. He says, I gave my heart to know wisdom. To to see the task which God has been doing here on earth, right? Even if I didn't sleep day or night. If I saw everything that God had done, I still conclude man cannot discover this work which has been done under the sun. And even though you seek it laboriously, you will not discover it. Though the wise men should say, ah, I know, he doesn't really know. We cannot discover all that God is doing. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much knowledge we acquire, no matter how many degrees we have behind our name, we just cannot comprehend it all. It doesn't all make sense to us. Nor should it. If God made sense to us, then He would no longer be God. So don't lose sleep over it. <laughs> right? And maybe you're the kind of person that just has to figure everything out. Right? Has to know it all. You're going to be miserable. Because you can't know it all. You can't understand everything God is up to. Sometimes we have a good idea. Sometimes we have no idea at all. We cannot discover all that God is doing. But we can entrust it all into the hand of God. He says in verse 1 of chapter 9, I've taken all this to heart. All this stuff that I'm thinking about. Right? Everything's out of control. It's full of injustice. It's beyond my understanding and my comprehension. I've taken it all to heart and I explain it this way. Righteous men, wise men, and everything they do are all in the hand of God. So we can trust Him. Though we don't know how it's going to turn out, He says man doesn't know whether it will be love or hatred. In other words, we don't know whether it's going to work out this way or that way, whether it's going to turn out the way we like it to or whether we don't want it to. Again, here on this earth. We just don't know. We don't know how things will turn out in a perfect plan of God, but in the end, it will be for our good and for His glory. In the end. In the short term, we don't know what it's going to look like. Esther didn't know how things were going to turn out when she was taken to the palace as a young girl, knowing that that would probably mean she would never marry a Jewish man, she would never have the life that she intended to have or she dreamed of having as a young Jewish girl. She had no idea that God's plan was to bring her into that palace so that she could become the queen for such a time as this. So she could play a part in God's rescuing His people from evil that would eventually bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. She didn't know that when justice was happening to her. 
Joseph didn't know how things were going to turn out when his brothers turned on him and sold him into slavery. He had no idea how this was going to turn out when Potiphar's wife falsely accused him and Potiphar threw him in prison. He didn't know that God's plan was to elevate him to second in command of the greatest nation on the earth at the time and that through his wisdom God had given him, he would be able to spare his family who would ultimately bring Jesus to this world. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. Any more than Stephen in Acts chapter 7 knew how things were going to turn out when he was falsely accused of speaking against Moses and of God. And the people and the council were falsely accusing him and they picked up stones and they stoned him and he died. He didn't know how that was going to turn out, but he died. And you say, wow, man, what was God in that? Hmm. When you look at it from under the sun perspective, man, it seems really a shame. When you step above that and you look and you see that in the next few chapters, this young man named Saul, who was all gung-ho about killing Stephen, that particular event emboldened him to get papers from the Pharisees to go out and to persecute people in other places. And on his way to Damascus, he's confronted by Jesus himself. And God transformed that man's life, and he became the apostle of the Gentiles. And the gospel of Jesus Christ went forward. And you and I are benefactors of that reality. Stephen had no idea what was going to happen. But he stood up for Jesus because he knew the one who knew what was going to happen and the one who was orchestrating all of these things and the one who could take what looked like evil and use it for good. We have no idea what God does ultimately in the things that are happening right now. But we know this. When it's all said and done, He's going to use it to advance the cause of Christ in this world. He's going to use it to bring glory to His name. He's going to use it ultimately for the good of His people. And so we entrust everything into the hand of God. Bottom line, we are wise to acknowledge the providence of God. It might be out of my control, but it isn't out of His control. It may be filled with injustice here, but the one who is just will bring it all together in the end. It may be beyond my comprehension, but He knows what He's doing. And He is working through His sovereignty. to bring about His plan. And it will be good in the end. And so we trust the providence of God. Father, as we contemplate these things, I, I realize that we tend to be people who want to be in control. So it's hard for us to let go of that. Some of us are very oriented to justice and we, we really struggle when we see injustice happening in this fallen world. And it's hard for us to see beyond that moment and to trust you. Some of us are 
people who just like to know everything. They're just wired to, to acquire knowledge and to want to figure it out and to understand everything. And we just can't. It's hard for us because we're just entrusted to you. My Lord, that's part of the journey for us all. We are called to rest in you, to know that you are ultimately in control. That you're infinite in your wisdom. And you are perfect in your love. Because of that, we can trust you. As you work sovereignly in your world. All of these things. Thank you for reminding us of that. You encourage us in it. Lord, I, again, I don't know everything every person is experiencing right now. I don't know what we're walking into this coming week. But I know who does. And we look to you, God. Help us with that in Jesus' name. We pray these things in your mighty name.